Brian, can I have you come up here, please? Please stand up here. All right, let me... Uh, right here. Nope, nope. Let me have you a little closer here. Right here. Okay, good. Now, you're going to look at these people over here, and you're going to say, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Thank you. Now, we're going to go over here. Come over here. All right, same thing. Right here. You're going to look over here. Repent from your sins. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> you're a pastor. You can't say that. I am. I got to Repent of your sins! Can and I say Jesus loves you and again? You, sure. <laughs> Jesus yes, I allow loves that. you. I allow that. <laughs> and to these people in the middle, you say, you all have eternal life. They do? Yes, yes you all have eternal life. Like and that? Thank, yes. You may now go sit down. Okay. <laughs> I'm just confused. Yes. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if God spoke to us that way? With a loud voice, guiding us and directing us, over here, speak to this person, take this job, go to this school. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? That's pretty rare that he says it in our lives that way. Doesn't seem like he talks to us that way. We have many decisions to make in our lives every day and in 2024, every day, every week, every month, for the rest of the year. What I want to do is I want to flesh out how we can hear God's voice in those moments when we have to make decisions, when it seems to be difficult to hear what he's saying. Let me take a moment, though, to pray before I get started. Father God, thank you so much for who you are, what it is you're doing in our lives. We thank you that you do hear us, that you called us to yourself and you call us your own, and that we can hear you. Lord, I pray that in the next few moments as I speak your word, that I pray that the words that I would speak today would not be mine, but rather they would be yours. That anything that I say today that is from me would be quickly forgotten, never to be remembered. But those things that are from you, Lord, would be quickened into our hearts and into our minds, finding fertile soil in both places, that as we leave here today, we leave looking more like your son, Jesus Christ, to a lost and dying world. By the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name above all names I pray, that of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're going to look today at a Bible character that we're all fairly familiar with, in a slightly more unusual way. And that's going to be Elijah. We're all pretty familiar with this major prophet, but what's interesting is that he too, like the rest of us, have had issues of faith. His faith waned in a moment, and we're going to look at that today. But let me give you a quick background as to what's going on in, in our text, because our text is in 1 Kings. What ha what's happening here is that this, the kingdom of the Jews, the Hebrew people, are, are broken up into two. There's a southern kingdom of Judah, which the, the kings there were wanting to follow God and direct the people to God, so it was a good kingdom. The northern kingdom, unfortunately, was the kingdom of Israel. And in those kings, they were bad. They directed people away from God. They didn't want to uh, worship God. They set up altars to the Baals, to the pagan gods. And in this kingdom, king was Ahab, and his wife was Jezebel. And what happens here in, a, in the story, right before where, we're, where we are going to look, is that Elijah is in there, in, in that kingdom, and he challenges 
the priests of the Baals to see whose God will consume an offering. And so 450 uh, priests of the Baals, they come and they, they set up their altar and they pray and they ask their, their God to consume their offering. The entire day goes by nothing happens. Then it's Elijah's turn. He sets up his altar. He asks God to consume the offering. And of course, God shows up and he does it. He consumes it, proving that the one true God is greater than the group of gods, the Baals of the pagan people. And as part of this situation, Elijah goes and kills all the priests, 450 priests. Needless to say, as Ahab and Jezebel are wanting to follow these priests, they're not happy. And so Jezebel decrees that she wants to kill Elijah. She tells him that. I want to kill you. And so he flees. He flees into the southern kingdom. He flees down all the way down to Beersheba, which is in the southern part of the southern kingdom. He leaves his assistant there, and he goes another day's journey into the wilderness. And there he's met with a messenger. An angel, if you will. Some commentaries even suggest it was Jesus himself. And for two days, he, he talked to him, and he fed him, and he held him sleep, because he said, you're going to go on a, on a great journey. And so when that time came, he went 40 days and 40 nights. It's an interesting allusion to the past there. And he took him to Mount Horeb in, in the southern kingdom. Another interesting allusion is that another name for Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. It's a place where Moses received the word of God for the people, the law. And now God wants to talk to Elijah about his word, about hearing his word. And so we're going to pick up our story in 1 Kings 19, verses 9 and 10. It says, There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. This is not the kind of Elijah we typically expect. Elijah is strong, a strong prophet. And yet here we see him a bit disheartened, frustrated, that what he's going through as a prophet seems to be meaningless. We continue on in verse 11. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Then when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. The King James and the New King James Version say a still small voice. Some of us may be familiar with that. But it was in the gentle whisper 
that Elijah heard God. It wasn't in the rumbling and tumbling of the rocks through the wind and through an earthquake or through the fire. You see, God created the miraculous. All of a sudden, there's a wind. All of a sudden, there's an earthquake. All of a sudden, there's a fire. God was there, but he wasn't in those things. Aren't we looking for the miraculous sometimes? When we want God to say, do this, let me get your attention. Sometimes we're waiting for lightning to strike as a way of recognizing what we need to do. Stephen Curtis Chapman had a song in the, in the 90s about that, waiting for lightning, a sign that it's time for a change. Are you listening for thunder while God quietly whispers your name? I think what the underlying issue here is, is faith. That Elijah's faith was, was struggling a little bit. Not that he was giving up faith or that he was in a crisis of faith. That he doubted everything. But he was having trouble seeing what God was doing. And so he was maybe having trouble trusting what God was doing. The miraculous shows us that God can do something, for sure. There's no doubt. Because no one else could have created those circumstances. But the whisper, it takes faith. God is in the whisper, waiting for you to grow your faith in him. So we want to grow our faith so that we can trust God. And in trusting God, we can see his guidance. His revelation to us in the things of our lives that matter to us and to his kingdom. So I want to take a few minutes and, and try and figure out why we don't or can't hear God's word, his voice. To an unbeliever, you can't hear God's word. It's not possible because you don't know God. You don't know his voice. You don't know what you're listening for because you can't hear him. You see, our relationship with God was, was broken by mankind, and it needed to be restored but the problem is that man can't be the one to restore that relationship. God is holy and we're not. We can't, as an unholy being, approach the holy. God had to be the one to restore that relationship with us. And he did in the, in the form of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus had to come to live a perfect life so that there was a perfect sacrifice for the broken relationship we created. And that perfect sacrifice, when we believe on that, that our sin is being atoned for by a perfect being, and that that person in Jesus Christ was raised from the grave apart from our sin, then we have eternal life. Then we can hear God, what he is saying, what he's doing. We can approach him boldly in the throne room directly. Jesus says in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. He goes on in verse 28 to say how the sheep have eternal life. So if you don't believe it, you're not hearing God. There's many people out there that think they hear God, but they're not believers, and so they're not hearing God. 
to, to us who do believe. The first thing we need to know is that we sometimes erroneously attribute the voice of God to something else. It's not really God's voice. It might be our voice. It might be the voice of the enemy. There's a popular Christian author named Randy Alcorn. He also started uh, Eternal Perspectives Ministries. And he, he wrote this, Sincerity and intensity and specificity of feeling do not equal God's voice. I found that profound. How sincere we are about a feeling we have, or how intense we feel about it, or how specific it seems to be. Like, God must want me to do this, because it's so specific. That's not necessarily God. It could be. And oftentimes, most of the time, I think, we think it is. It also works the other way. We don't feel sincerity about something. Well, I don't really care about that. We're not intense about it. Or it's too nebulous. We say, well, God obviously doesn't want me to be involved with that. Doesn't want me to speak this or whatever it might be. But that's still us. It's not necessarily God. We interpret God's voice through our own perspectives and experiences. That's true. And we have a personality that God uses to share himself with us. But the problem is we grow, hopefully, in our knowledge and love of Christ. And as we grow, we know him differently. Certainly 30 years ago when I was a new believer, I wouldn't have been able to stand up here and tell you any of this. But I've grown. You've grown in your walk. If you think God doesn't talk to you differently, you're probably missing him then. Because he, you understand him better. And if you're used to, he talked to me this way, then you might be missing what he's saying now because you're different. The other thing is we, we tend to see if what God is saying aligns with Scripture. We want to see if what God is saying aligns with Scripture. Because what he says to us will always align with Scripture. There will, never not, there will never be a time when God says something to you to have you say something or do something or go somewhere that's not in alignment with Scripture. Because if it's not in alignment with Scripture, then it's not, for, not of God. There was an interesting as I was reading and preparing an interesting uh, article that a pastor had written, and he was at some conference, and a lady came up to him. Uh, I guess it was about God's will, and she's sort of excitedly saying, oh, pastor, you know, I'm married, but I've been in a, an affair with a man for two years, and he's married as well, but we're so happy together, as if that was proof that God wanted them to be together. If that doesn't strike you as odd, that's, that's very odd that someone would admit to that and think that God would want them to do that, be in an extramarital affair. Clearly, that goes against his word. And obviously, she's not doing God's will, not hearing God properly. We struggle to hear his voice. And we need to make sure that it is his voice and not our voice or not an outside influence. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. 
It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's what we want the word of, the Lord, word of God to do for us, to judge us internally so that we can have an, a hope to be able to hear God at all. 2 Corinthians 10.5 goes on to tell us that to take captive every thought, to make it obedient to Christ. If you think God is telling you something, fine. Take it, take it captive. Make it obedient to Christ. Is it true? Check it against the word of God. We want to grow our faith in his word so that we can trust him better and hear his guidance in the still small voice. The second reason we may have trouble hearing God is that we're being too loud and, and too busy. We can't hear God over the din of our lives, the cacophony of noise that's all around us because we're filled with different things going on. Luke 5.16 says, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Some translations say the deserted places. He would go somewhere else away from the people. He didn't have to turn his cell phones off, but he had to remove himself. And he, we see that frequently in Scripture. He takes a couple of guys with him, goes up to a garden. Then he even removes himself from those guys further. Psalm 46.10 is something many people are familiar with. It says, be still and know that I am God. The New American Standard says, cease striving. Stop trying to work for my kingdom. You aren't in control of that. God is. Some, some translations actually say, relax. Right? Relax. Chill out. I got this. That's only half the verse. The other half of that verse is, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When you stop trying so hard, I'll be exalted. Because oftentimes we get in the way. We need to slow down. We need to get into a place where it's quiet so that we can hear. Make it a routine to get into a quiet place. I wake up at 4.45 every morning. I don't get out of bed quite that soon, but I wake up early. That's my time when I can get together with God, when there's nothing else making noise. And I can focus. The morning might be a good time for you. For many, I'm sure it's not. Midday, mid-morning, evening, whatever that time frame might be, carve it out. Stop being so busy. Make it a routine. Your plans are not as important as God's glory. Keep that in mind. Even if they're good plans, they're not as important as his glory. We need to grow our faith more than we need to grow our action. Number three, distractions. Where are you spending your time and energy? Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2 say, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 
We get distracted. Even in quiet areas, we might get distracted. I mean, that's what pop-up ads do to us, don't they? I'll be working along and all of a sudden looking at uh, Facebook and there's a cat video. And all of a sudden I'm 75 reels into this cat video. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I've wasted an hour and a half. They're so funny, but they're a distraction. My wife won't let me have a cat because she's afraid I'll torture it. I'm trying to make cat videos. But it's part of the daily ritual. Make it part of the daily ritual where you find a strategy to avoid the distractions so that you can hear God more readily. Psalm 119, verse 37 says, Turn my eyes away from worthless things, like cat videos. Preserve my life according to your word. Preserve my life according to your word. We want to grow our faith for fewer distractions. Distractions will always come. The enemy loves to put distractions in our path, loves to trip us up to make us less effective for him, for God. So we need to grow our faith so we can overcome those obstacles. The fourth thing is disobedience. Might seem obvious. God's not going to talk to you when you're being disobedient. And what I, what I want to make sure we understand is I don't mean like in a single moment that you fall into some sin or you engage in something, but more of a pattern of the same thing happening over and over again. You might not hear God as you ask for help, as you continue to engage in it, whatever it is. Hebrews 12, 25 says, Be careful that you do not refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. And outright ignoring God is a bad idea. because He's not going to want to talk to you either. Repent so you can grow in your faith. Alter the sin pattern. You can trust God to help you with that. But that repentance piece is so important. Tell him, I agree that what I'm doing is wrong. And I need to follow to glorify you, Lord. He'll start to meet you there. The fifth one is probably one we are most struggle with. Equating silence with a lack of communication from God. We go about our, our troubles and we pray out to God, God, where are you? I'm in pain. I'm suffering. I don't hear you. I need help. Very frustrating. David, King David, knew this pain. Psalm 22, verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me, from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Here's a man who knew pain and suffering. Another one, Brian alluded to him, was Job. Job, in the first chapter of Job, God allows Satan to take away all his possessions. In the second chapter, 
He allows him to take his health. God and Job don't have a conversation until chapter 38. Now, we don't know exactly how long the time frame is that Job suffered. Some people think it's in the order of months or so, because there's a, a, a section there that talks about a couple of months. It's probably more like a couple of years that Job suffered with this great pain, suffering, the sense of loss of his family, his, his possessions, and his health. Where was God in that moment? Sometimes we're led into the wilderness. Hosea 2.14 says, Therefore, I am going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. God draws us into the wilderness. He's quiet, but he's drawing us out where he can speak to us. Doesn't mean God's not in action, that he's absent. He's removing our distractions. He gives us the opportunity to focus on our faith so that we can trust more. God is outside of space and time. So when he looks at time, it's as a moment. Every moment is a moment to him. It's the same moment. But we need to have the faith to trust him. And he gives us that moment, sometimes in his silence. And so those are the five reasons we struggle to hear God with this scripture references. But what I want to do now is I want to take you back to our story of Elijah. We're going to look at verses 14 through 18. It says this. He, meaning Elijah, replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Maholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel. And Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You see, what we see here is a different perspective. Elijah was like, I'm the only one here, God. What's going on? And God said, no, you're not. There's 7,000 that have not bowed their knee. And I'm going to have you appoint some people to bring this, country, this, this people, this nation, back. You're not done. There's a lot of work to do. <coughs> have the faith, Elijah. Even though you can't see what's going on, I'm continuing to work in spite of your lack of perspective. So... 
thoughts on how we overcome our inability to hear God. I have ten of them. Uh, Some may be relevant at any given point to you in your lives. All of them may be relevant. Five of them are sort of a, a rehash of the five points of why it's hard to hear God, and five are new thoughts. But here we go. Number one, God is not a cosmic vending machine. He's not going to just talk to you all the time because you approach him. This isn't on your terms. It's on his terms. This is his world. You are his. He wants to have that relationship with you, and that means communicating regularly. He's not a cosmic vending machine. Don't treat him that way. Go to him at all times. You'll hear him more frequently because you're with him more frequently. Number two, remember, God doesn't owe us any answers. That's a hard one. But see, you're not God. He, in fact, when he challenges Job in, in chapter 38, he says, where were you when I did this? And it's about 70 verses of where were you? <laughs> I think he was making a point. We don't want to be demanding of God. Because, like I said, he doesn't owe us anything. Stay humble. Humble yourself before the Lord. Number three, his timing is different than ours. I know it's a Christian cliche, but there's always truth in a cliche. His timing is different. Like I said, he's outside of space and time. We don't know why he might wait on something or why he allows this to go on for so long. But we don't have the eternal perspective. He does. We have our perspective, and we can hope to have a glimpse of what God is doing, only that which he reveals to us. Number four, we may already know the answer to what it is we want to hear God about. I had a story like this once. Um, I was at a a job, and things didn't seem to be going well, and I was a little confused, but I thought, you know what, I'll I'll pray and see what God has to say, and I'll give my my two-week notice if if I feel God's leading me. And I remember sitting down to pray, and boy, it was hard. I could not get into prayer. It wasn't so much that I was distracted. I just... (coughs) I was in a quiet place and whatever, and I just could not pray. And finally, I decided, all right, I need to stop praying and start listening. Stop being the one that's vocal and start being the one who's listening. And I heard, what I heard was God say, stop praying. You know the answer. And I thought, no, that doesn't make sense. I, I should be praying, right? I'm a fairly new Christian at this point, a couple of years in. I'm supposed to pray. Nope. You know the answer. I was like, okay. And so I gave my, my two-week notice the very next day. Now, mind you, I didn't have anything to fall back on. And then that was in January of, the, of that particular year. And then March, I found another job because I needed a job. And that April, the company announced it was going out of business. And by July of that year, they were completely gone. And I had just had an interview with another company in a business that would use my college, college degree. God was preparing me. He said, get out. Sometimes we know the answer. We're trying to over-spiritualize it. All right, so now we get this last one before we get into the ones that re- 
we talked about earlier is trusted counsel. Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a person who listens to advice is wise. We need to have people that we can trust whose hearts are turned to God as well. That's why the small groups are so important. Because we're rubbing shoulders with people who are able to have a different perspective than we, we do and might be able to give us advice. And we do that for them. Sometimes we're the ones that have the good advice. We don't even know it until someone has a problem. And we had an experience like that. Oh, yeah, I remember when This is what I did. Sometimes you don't even realize it. You can be that good counsel. But we also need that good counsel. All right, as I said, these last five relate back to what we talked about, how we have trouble hearing God's voice. So number six is focus on God's voice and not our feelings. Feelings are liars. Psalm 139, 23 and 24 say, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Much like Hebrews 4.12 from earlier. God, where am I as I come to you? Number seven, quiet yourself before the Lord. <coughs> Cease striving. Be still. Relax. Number eight, position yourself to focus on hearing his voice. Draw yourself away. Avoid the distractions. Put a plan in place. Whatever that might look like in your circumstances. There's so many circumstances. I, I don't know what you're, how you go about trying to reach out to God. Turn off the electronics. Turn off the lights. I don't know. Whatever you need to do to avoid the distractions in life. Do it. Number nine, be obedient. That's a hard one sometimes because we're prideful, which is our downfall. Be obedient. Humble yourself to trust him. Your faith will grow. And then finally, number 10 is get comfortable in silence and listen. That's something that a lot of people are really uncomfortable with. We did a, At work, we did a, a, an exercise where two people would get together about 18 inches apart and just look at each other for a minute. How awkward is that? A minute is like eternity. Now, they were doing it for a specific reason, but if you're not comfortable with silence, as many of my coworkers were not, that didn't last long for them. They were like all over the place. They were talking, laughing. They, they stopped and walked away from each other because they weren't comfortable in silence. Sometimes he puts you there intentionally. And he's still doing something even if you can't sense it or feel it or see it. Don't lose the faith. That's the time to grow the faith. To go to him so that you can trust him more. David lamented about not being heard as we saw in Psalm 22. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Here's the interesting thing. In spite of his anguish, verses 3, 4, and 5 go on to say this. Yet, you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. 
You, to you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. In spite of his anguish, this is his attitude. And this is the attitude we need. That God is still God. That he is still great. That we need to have faith in him so that we can trust him with our lives. And in doing so, we will have clarity. We will hear his still small voice, his gentle whisper. I want you to understand that it's less about the promise itself and more about the one who made the promise. In our lives, it's less about the promise. The promise is yet to come. So now it's about the one who made the promise, the promiser. Grow your faith for more trust. Then you can hear the gentle whisper of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for who you are and what it is you're doing in our lives. I pray that these words today would be yours and that we could hear your gentle whisper as we leave this place, that we would be able to slow down and hear what you're trying to tell us that we might grow in our faith, and our faith leads to more trust and greater trust, allows us to see your guidance that much more easily. We thank you so much for this time, Lord. May you be glorified by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.